Welcome back to Think Deeper, podcast presented by Focus Press. I am Joe Wilkie, joined as always by Will Harib and my brother Jack Wilkie. And we have a fascinating episode uh, for, for you this week. Last week, we had covered Calvinism. And uh, so we want to jump into not the same thing, but adjacent to it, a, a question that inevitably rises. Before we get to that, uh, fellas, we didn't even ask, are there any things that we're pushing? Any things that, that we want to let everybody know uh, ahead of time? It's the start of the year. Obviously, we had the big push at the end of the year in December. But look, we're still open for business. It's not just an end of year sales thing. So make sure if you do have any needs kind of coming forward. Um, yeah, and, and I do have one, I guess. We're going to push our Focus Plus again. We have our Focus Plus subscribers, our, our deep thinkers. Uh, and, and we love that. We love getting to interact with them and as they comment on our videos and such. And so every week we have that. We talk about that a lot. We also have the 365, which is the daily disciplines, the um, what you are supposed to read, pray, meditate on and discuss uh, each each day. And uh, Jack has helped me out with that. I think it's going very, very well. I was reading Jack's and it's encouraging to me. Uh, obviously, when I'm putting it together, you know, you're trying to do it on your own. But uh, getting to read Jackson from his perspective is really good. And so um yeah. And, and I find it to be very good discussion questions. And I don't know if you guys are familiar. There's like table topics is what it's called. It's discussion cards that we would have. Uh, and my wife and I would use those. And I kind of use these as such. Like, that's an interesting question. Throw it out to my wife. What do you think about XYZ? Um, so I think you could use it as that. Just a conversation starter with your wife as you guys are getting ready for bed. It's just very easy, I would say. And obviously, you want it around the dinner table if you got some older kids just to discuss that. But um we're excited about that. That's that's our newest offering. We got a lot of things coming this year that are going to be fantastic on Focus Plus. So if you are not subscribed, I would consider subscribing and uh, make that maybe part of your new year. I know we're we're a few days into it at this point, a couple of weeks in, but um, make that part of your New Year's resolution is is really to grow in your Bible study, grow in your prayer, and I think that's a really good place to start in bite sized chunks. But fellas, anything else you'd push before we uh, jump into the episode? All right. So as I said, fascinating episode. We are getting into the discussion of free will. Do we have free will as, as human beings? Uh, and again, on the heels of Calvinism, of course, Calvinism, they would say, you really don't have any free will. Uh, and, and there's the hyper-Calvinist where God literally controls everything. And then there's the shades of Calvinism where some are saying, no, not everything, but some. And then you have people that say, well, God, basically, we're going to get into this, but God doesn't even know the future. So we all have absolute free will, uh, libertarian free will, and um, we get to decide most things and God well, really doesn't decide that much. So there's kind of a spectrum there that we want to get into on this week's episode. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say is there's a lot of degrees to this question. And a lot of people, you know, initially, maybe when they hear this question, do we have free will? Well, duh, right? Of course, of course, humans have free will. But you look a little deeper you look at some of the passages that we're going to go through here that, you know, John 10, 1 Kings 22, of course, in Exodus, Romans 9, quite a few more questions pop up as to, okay, was God pulling the strings, thereby removing humans' free will? Or so and so, do we have absolute free will? And so I do think for those of you who might be wondering why, why is this even a Think Deeper episode, why is this worth talking about? It, it is there's a little bit more depth to this subject than I think some people and myself included, you know, a couple years ago, like, Oh, do, do humans have free will? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Move on. Next question. It's not as simple of an answer as that is. And, and the reason why, again, as Joe said, we're coming on the heels of the Calvinism episode is because there are a lot of things that we're going to discuss in this episode that do pertain directly to the kind of Calvinistic arguments and the, the, the tenets of Calvinism. You might say, you know, talking about unconditional election and, 
that would seem to indicate that you know human that we don't really God is pulling the strings that God does you know hand select this person to heaven this person maybe not to heaven and so thereby removing free will and so it is a question that we need to answer um and again there are a lot of scriptures that we're going to cover I shouldn't say a lot there's a handful of scriptures that we're going to cover that pose interesting questions interesting challenges to this idea of complete and total free will um so that's what I'll say as we kind of introduce this Jack anything that you want to talk about before we get into I guess the verses themselves no let's roll it Okay. All right. So um, we're going to start with kind of the, again, hyper-Calvinistic view. Um, and that is essentially no free will. Again, that God pulls all the strings that we don't really like, essentially that our free will is taken away because we will, when we make a decision, God decreed that we were going to make that decision. When we choose to go this route, God decreed that we were going to choose that route. So Again, I don't really I I feel bad. I don't know how the Calvinists would phrase this particular like I don't I don't know if they would say directly, well, we don't have any free will, more so logically implying that our free will that we don't have free will because God is the one declaring various things. So I was gonna take us to John chapter 10. Um so let's just go ahead and get into the kind of the first uh I don't want to call it a problem passage. That sounds bad. Talk about God's word in that way. Um <laughs> take us to the first difficult passage about this. John chapter 10, of course. Um, one of the, the, I guess the precursor to one of Jesus's, uh, famous, I am statements in John 10, I'll go ahead and just read verses. Um, I'm going to start in verse one, get the full, give it a little bit more context here. John 10, starting in verse one, most assuredly, I say to you words of Jesus here, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him. The doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow them for they know his voice. Fellas, I can turn it. I guess I'll turn it over. Jack's been quiet to start this one. How do we deal with this one? I think we're going to go ahead and put our cards on the table here as we did last episode. We are not hyper Calvinists. We don't believe we do believe that we have some level of free will. So how do we deal with this one? Jack, I'll hand this over to you. Yeah. So uh, as we said, this is a bit of a, a continuation of last week with Calvinism and the unconditional election. And that's where they would point to uh, is is verses like this to say he picked people and and only the ones that he picked are going to hear that call. Um, this is where you get into kind of the, the scripture wars thing, as I call it, where you, OK, well, you've got this verse, we've got this verse. Um, but as we brought up last week, John 3, 16, uh, some people would say, well, see, the Bible contradicts itself. No, I don't think it does. I think you do have to take it at. Broadly, God did call everyone. Jesus did die for everyone. Uh, you know, he wants all to be saved. And we've got all the verses that say things like that. Uh, and then they go along with this of some are going to recognize his voice and some aren't. And this kind of goes to what we talked about last week of, you know, the man or the man or the plan kind of thing of, well, those that, that respond to the call are the ones you know, that, that are going to hear those, you know, kind of which side of the horse are you putting the cart on? Is it you only hear his voice because God pre-programmed you, predestined you, gave, took away your free will to hear his voice, or those that do, or that's the confirmation afterwards that, okay, those are the ones that, uh, and so some people have kind of, and I think this was the Arminian thing, we, we got into a little bit last week, but we didn't flesh out this part of it, that essentially God people say that he looked down the the corridors of history, looked down, you know, the the passage of time, and he saw what people were going to be open-hearted, and so he elected those people. He said, well, these are going to be the people that come, so I'm going to elect them. And so there's kind of a partial election. I don't, 
I don't think that's necessary. I, I think you're just kind of adding uh, steps when it's just, you know, those that, that respond to the call are the ones that, you know, are, are the sheep. But again, I mean, like, as we said last week, these verses are more challenging than sometimes we give them credit for. Yeah, I do want to move on to the next one because we do have a, a series of these verses that we want to come to in terms of are we choosing God or is he choosing us? You know, do we have free will to choose him? The second one is Acts 2.39, right? Uh, with with this um, Pentecost, Peter's preaching in Pentecost, and he says in verse 39, of course, 38, we all know, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So once again, the question would be, do we have free will to come to him or is God calling people unto himself? A is there a select few people? that he calls? Correct. Right? A, a select few that really doesn't have anything to do with it. Now, what I would say to this one is, what do you think Peter is trying to do here? He's eliciting their own repentance saying, you put Jesus to death. Make a choice. The same thing as Joshua, right? Like you make a choice who you're going to serve. And he's saying the same thing here is, you know, they say, what shall we do? He's eliciting a response for them to make a free will choice to repent for what they had done. So to me, I think even in this context, it makes it it's simple, like repent and each of you be baptized. Is there a choice in that or is there not? And they would say, okay, it's only for those who God called. Well, he's preaching to a bunch, probably a million plus, you know, maybe not in that one moment, there's 12 of the apostles spread out um, that, that are doing this. I think Matthias at that time was, was probably one. He was I think named. He's, he's chosen. Yeah. I was going to say chosen right before in chapter one. So, you know, there's 12 of them that are speaking with these in tongues, right? At, at Pentecost, but in Peter preaching 3000 come. Okay. Well, from the hundreds of thousands that are at Pentecost, 2 million is what people, some people speculate. Maybe that's not a ton. Maybe that's all God's calling to himself. No, I would still say there is a level of those are the people that well, that heard the message that were called, so to speak, like that that heard the call and responded. That and so when he says what the Lord will call to Himself, I think He's calling upon everyone. But we kind of had this discussion last week as to we how did. that works, <laughs> it, it, and it goes back to it goes back to what, what Jack just kind of talked about the sheep hearing the voice. But in this context, it very much seems like Peter is giving them an opportunity well, to make a free will choice for God. Well, I would appeal also just go back in, in Peter's sermon a little bit to when he's quoting from Joel 2. What's the very last verse in that passage for Joel 2? I think it's verse 32, but for the purposes of Acts 2, it's verse 21. And it shall come to pass who, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Obviously, that's also, in my opinion, kind of foreshadowing that that's going to be open to Gentiles as well, that literally whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But once again, to Joe's point, what do we see there? Seemingly a free will choice, a free will choice is being or is to be made that whoever chooses to call upon the name of the Lord, those people are going to be saved. And again, down the road where Joe just read, we do see that 3000 souls or so, and then more as Acts goes on, chose to call on the name of the Lord and those will be saved there. Yeah, there just seems to be a free will choice going on there. And again, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, just try to, you know, act like it's simple. I'm sure the Calvinists would have some kind of answer for this, but that I think, again, as you as you read Acts 2 there, it does seem to indicate that there was a widespread call and a select few are the ones that answered the call. Keep in mind what he's also saying in Acts 2 here. When he says for you and your children and for all those who are far off, he's prepping the way for Gentiles, as you said, like that's yeah. the context here is as many as the Lord called himself. You don't get to decide who God decides to call. 
And God decided to include the Gentiles, those who were far off. I don't off. think Peter knew that at this point, as, as we see when he goes I, to Cornelius, like, well, hang on, these people too. But, you know, to your point, even if he didn't know that, it was God's got a right. bigger plan here. But it was part even, of the message, yeah. Even immediately, he didn't say, well, the promise is for some of you. The promise is for, for those of you that respond. It's, no, this promise is here. Like, God, God's given this to you and your children and, and anybody else, you know. And, and so even then, he's not limiting it to say, well, it's, the promise is for the elect. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've thought a lot about this since, you know, we recorded our last episode. Um, for those of you who might not have listened, if you, you go, I don't remember the timestamp or anything, but Joe had a, had an analogy that he used me and Jack were, were kind of trying to, to wrap our brains around <laughs> it a little bit. Um, but I've thought a little bit more about it since then. And I do think it does make sense grammatically, logically, all those things to say to, for two things to be true. One if if you project out a, a call to a large, vast majority of people, all of them were called, and yet those who answered the call, you can still also say that they are the called. Does that make sense? Like it, it makes sense as it makes sense that it absolutely both makes sense. Things, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said it. Coming around to a little bit, but no, it, it makes sense that both of those things can be true. And I think that's where this one again, where this is where this lines up is the call was to was to all, but those who answer the call are specifically the called. Does that make sense? Like, well, again, you could use the, the Gideon. You could use the Gideon illustration. Uh, you know, of like, all right, anybody who's scared, go home. Anybody who laps their water like a dog, go home. And and so he narrows it down to three hundred. And you could say, well, those three hundred were, you know, that that God, you know, pre-selected those three hundred. Well, but how how do we know they were pre-selected because of the choices they made, like because of yeah. you know what they did. And so that you've got instances like that where it works functionally the same way. I was thinking about, you know, Jesus and talking about, hey, those who were invited, didn't they decided not to come to the feast. Hey, go to the roadways and grab all the homeless and everything's like that. And when they get there, it's like, hey, th those these people were invited. Yeah, they were, as were a bunch of other people that decided not to. But those who showed up were invited. Like it's it's the same concept, in my opinion. Now, fellas, what do we do with we go all the way back to Exodus? You're looking at the 10 plagues. What do we do with something like? God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And it specifically says that he did harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, you know, we, we hear the same, the same sun uh, softens butter and hardens clay, things like that. And so it was more God putting that on there, but there are times when Pharaoh's letting so, him go. And then God, it literally says God hardened his heart to it. So did Pharaoh harden his heart, even though he was going to let him go, or did God harden his heart? Was there free will choice in that? Or did God take away some of the free will choice from Pharaoh? So here's what's interesting is I was just kind of going through, I flipped back to Exodus uh, while Jack was talking a second ago. It isn't until after the sixth plague that you see that phrase that the Lord hardened his heart. So for instance, after the, the first plague, uh, chapter seven, verse 23, Pharaoh turned, went into his house, neither was his heart moved by all this. After the second plague, chapter eight, verse 15, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. After the third plague, chapter eight, verse... Um, let's see, of uh, 19, but Pharaoh's heart grew hard and did not heed them after the fourth plague, chapter eight, verse 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time. Also neither would he let people go after the fifth, fifth plague, chapter nine, verse seven, then Pharaoh sent and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard and not let the people go. It's not until the sixth plague, chapter nine, verse 12, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not heed them. And so. The context that the reason why I felt the need to bring all that up is because, yeah, you do have the question because it's after the sixth plague. It's after the, I believe, the eighth plague. And then, you know, of course, it just kind of escalates from there uh, after the ninth plague as well. 
that the Lord does the hardening. Pharaoh's heart was already primed to be hard, I guess is the way that I would put that. He himself, according to the text, had quote unquote hardened his heart, became stubborn, you know, however you want to put it, five times before God quote unquote stepped in. And so did, did God take away Pharaoh's free will by hardening it the later times? Tough question. All I know for to, to add to the context is Pharaoh seemed to be pretty good at hardening his heart already before God stepped in. Read, read 10 verse 1 though. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may that I may perform these signs of mine among yeah. them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians, and how I perform my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So God, he takes credit for it. I have hardened his heart, and it was well, for a very specific purpose. Well, but read the verses two before that, in 9, 34, and 35. When Pharaoh saw the rain sure. and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart. He and his servants, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so you've got three verses in a row of Pharaoh hardened his heart. His heart was hardened, kind of passive, and then God hardened his heart. And, you know, again, kind of to Will's point, like, it, he was the first one to harden his own heart. He looked and he's like, oh, uh, God stopped the plague. Okay, you know, like, and the arrogance comes back in. Um, sure. And then where God is claiming credit for it, it's, well, yeah, God sent the plague and then took the plague away, which caused Pharaoh to do that. But it's kind of like, well, you made me mad. Well... I decided to get mad, but the actions you did created the template, you know, like the, the elicited the, that response, right? Sure. It paved the way for it. I would say to this, this is where I think this all gets really interesting. Pharaoh had free will. Pharaoh at any point in here could have said, I'm wrong. I, I please stop with the plagues. I get it. Your God's powerful. You guys go ahead. I, I'll let you go. Um, but you see all the way back at the burning bush, God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. He's not going to let you go. So then I'm going to show my power and then I'm going to get you guys out of there. Because remember, the request was not, hey, let let my people just up and leave and, and go to the promised land. It was, can we go worship you? Well, the re reason that was the request is he knew Pharaoh was going to deny it. And that was going to create the the temple, like the, the, again, just build the canvas for this to, to be played out on. And then all oh, the 10 plagues are going to happen. Then Egypt's going to be destroyed and they're going to be totally brought out of there. God didn't start off with, all right, let's go down there and, and kill all the Egyptians. It's It needed Pharaoh's hardening. And so, again, Pharaoh had free will to do that, but God knew, and he picked a man who didn't know Joseph, didn't acknowledge God, all the things that it introduces, you know, as the first one, and then probably the next Pharaoh when, when Moses comes back. This was a person who, like, everything in his life led him to be this kind of person, and God looks at that and goes, yeah, this arrogant guy, that's that's the one. I'm going to use that for my purpose, Yes, I, I can push this guy's buttons. Here's where, and, and I think, here's he, where again, gets... he has free will, but the condition, it's conditioned free will. So let me let me ask you, Jack, because, again, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you, but where I'm seeing kind of a hole in my own argument here, do you believe that God, quote-unquote, stepped in? Yes or no? Stepped in as in like forced Pharaoh to do something like, like took control as in, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I at some point, chapter, I even skipped ahead to chapter 14 where they're already out of Egypt. And then it says in verse eight, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. Did God? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say force, but did God influence? Let's say that did God influence it in any way to where Pharaoh, again, they're out of Egypt and he's just sitting on his you know, sitting in his palace or whatever. And because of something God did elicited Pharaoh to say, all right, you know what? I'm going to go chase after them. Or do you think that was still 100% all Pharaoh? I would say you see this in the Kings a little bit, like with Saul, God says, all right, you don't have, I'm not with you anymore. I'm taking my spirit away. And an evil spirit comes in 
And in a sense, that's God just being like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm letting, I'm leaving Saul to these other influences. I'm pulling away the positive influence here and allowing bad influence to drive him the wrong way to chase David, to set up everything that's about to happen. Because I told Saul, you don't get to be king anymore. We need some things to happen. So he dies and his family gets out of the way. So David gets to be king. So let's kind of set those wheels in motion without him just like, again, taking the puppet strings and going, okay, Saul, here's how it's going to go. It's, you know, I don't See, think I, he's pulling I, puppet strings with Pharaoh. I disagree. I actually think he does. I think Pharaoh hardens his heart for the first few. And I think when Pharaoh's going to let him go, God goes, you're not done. You're not done. I'm, I'm keeping you in this. Why? Because two reasons. First off, he is systematically breaking through every Egyptian God and he's letting them know, don't even come close to these guys. And it ends with, you know, of course, the Passover. That's the second so, part, which is hang on real quick. He needed the oh, Joe just said Pharaoh doesn't have free will. That's what I was going to say. So do you Correct. think God to took a certain Pharaoh's degree. free will away? Yes, I, I actually do. Because I look at it and I say, he needed the Passover to happen. The Passover only happens on the 10th plague. The Passover foreshadows communion, the, the Lord's Supper. God knows all this. We're going to get an open. Okay, so what, no, why, why, no, hold on. Hold on. Why did you give him the free will for the first few? If God if God had to have this happen, well, then that might not have happened if Pharaoh uh, on number two because was like, it, okay, okay, okay. Right. I think as soon as Pharaoh's like, okay, I'm done. No, you're not done. He, he lets him make his own decisions up to Essentially, certain point. Essentially, Pharaoh, Pharaoh got 70% let him go. of the way there, and then you're Correct. saying God and took he, him the rest of the 30%. Why? Well, I think if, if Pharaoh had if he's already down that road, he would have done Pharaoh, it. Pharaoh did that the whole time. Oh, okay, fine. Nah, no, 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 no. Oh, okay, fine. Nah, no, 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 no. Like, I don't okay. have any problem thinking that God would step into the lives of certain people and potentially take away free will to bring about his plan. Well, he I didn't do that with he didn't even do that with Judas. I mean, the one person out of anybody who ever existed, he needed to make sure that made that happen. He allowed Satan know? to enter him, though. Right. He allowed yeah, him, and, and which is a different thing, you know, is is you've been brought to that point where you've opened yourself up to negative influence, to Satan's influence, to demonic influence, Saul with the evil spirit or whatever. That you're God, being sifted like wheat. Yeah, there. I mean, there I is mean, kind of that. Uh, here, yeah, here's that, Joe. God will allow you. But he's not the one coming and taking away your free will, because the other thing is. If uh, does he ever do that for good? Does he ever force somebody to do good? I don't. Well, think here's so. where Joe, where I, what I would ask you in response to this is that would seem to insinuate that God caused Pharaoh to sin. God, that's physically impossible for God to do. Right. So what would this is our, our gripe with the Calvinists? The hyper Calvinism idea is that God is responsible for all sin. I don't think it's necessarily sin to turn his heart away from or to to harden his heart to letting the people go. To pridefully, to pridefully to reject, uh, the will reject of God. God. I, no, because I think <laughs> I think the pride was already in place. To your point, I think the pride was already in place. I think God is allowing His will to work out. He needed Him to get to all ten. I plagues. don't uh, using see, I don't, I, well, but here here's kind of what you're getting at, though. Is kind of the whole okay, God. You know, Pharaoh was going along with the plan and everything was going okay. And then God goes, Oh no, he's not going along with the plan. I gotta, I gotta like put my thumb on the scale here. here. Yeah. yeah, I gotta, I gotta come in, jump into the game. I, the referee of the game just intercepted the ball and ran it back for a touchdown because the score was not gonna be what he wanted it to be. I don't agree with that. I think it's, man, we've got uh, Jameis Winston out there. He's gonna throw a pick. Uh, let's let him, <laughs> let me, you know, uh, let, let me bait him into a, a quarterback spy, you know, like, oh, I'm going to blitz him kind of thing. Nope, we're okay, not. There's so, a pick, you know, like he, he so said, how God's much free will the, do you have? Analogy if, go ahead. Sorry. How much free will does he have if God literally takes away every other option, but for him to harden his heart? I don't think he, how but this free, is, this is my point is he always had the option, but his, his pride was so did. much that it doubled because look at, uh, look at Nebuchadnezzar. That's somebody that, again, like God very much stepped in and was like, all right, try this on for size. And he comes to his senses. He had the opportunity. He God. had the out in that. 
he intervened in the life of Nebuchadnezzar the same way. You think a Nebuchadnezzar starts eating grass like an animal without God doing that to him? That, that's God's God punishment took and discipline. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. Is that there's not taking away free will? No, okay, there's so punishment and discipline that's a consequence. on... Uh, there's, but when did he come out of that? When he acknowledged, oh, God's God and I'm not. Okay, so Correct. stay, stay, with, stay with Pharaoh. And not, 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 uh, uh, not taking away his free will. Because again, <laughs> if, 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 if you're eating took, like grass... If he took away his free will, he would not be able to get himself out of it by repentance. His, it was basically, it's what, the same thing you do with your kid. All right, as soon as you eat this stuff, you can leave the table. Well, they might, uh, they might sit they at the still table have the for free two hours, you know, like, or not yeah, and, and, but it's kind of, you know, you're forcing them to stay there. Yes, you've taken away that function of their free will, but they still have the free will to, to make that choice. He, he ultimately wanted, my point is he ultimately wanted Pharaoh to, to make the choice of letting the people go. But he also knew that he was going to make the choices that he did. He also like this is my point. I would it, agree. What but, this is, if you agree with us? You but I'm saying he narrowed the options. Well, he, he, he narrowed did, the options point. for him. That's my point. Is all of our free will is incredibly conditional in a closed system. But I don't think his he needed it to get to ten. I don't. I genuinely don't point. think it's God did not have to come into this and go. Okay, well, I'm gonna until Pharaoh starts going a little squirrely on me, then I'll make him do it. It's this guy has got a pride problem, and I can push these buttons all day long. I would say he he squeezed him to the point of giving no other option but for him to harden his heart. If Pharaoh at, real at quick, literally real quick. if Pharaoh at six had said, "Okay, I'm going to let him go," that doesn't accomplish God's purpose. He needed well, him to get to I, all ten. But this is My, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. It's did God know that Pharaoh was going to keep on going, or you know, like, hey, if I press this button again, guess what's going to happen? I mean, okay, like back to the future. You know, everybody knows. Then does he actually call, have free will? If you call Marty McFly a chicken, he's going to try and fight you. Okay. Does he not have free will? Oh, I called him a chicken. Now he's going to start fighting. Well, I guess I just took away his free will. No, the guy just has no impulse control. I I don't see it. In my opinion, I think you you narrowed the options all the way down to there's one option, which is you're going to harden your heart. So yes, Pharaoh hardened his heart. There were, there were heart. two options there. There there was the the again the same option Nebuchadnezzar had of go. Okay. Okay. Fine, so I'm going to bring it. this up. I'm going to bring this up. Jack, what do you, because I agree with you, Jack, but what do you do with, so because this is exactly what Joe's talking about. After the eighth plague, mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, locust, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and treat the Lord your God. He may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and treated the Lord and the Lord, the Lord turned a very strong west wind to the locust way. Verse 20, but the Lord then hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go. So do you, would your position be Pharaoh was just kind of lying and bluffing and then decided, you know, or did the Lord step in, which is kind of what Joe <laughs> said. No, I mean, like, the, put yourself in the timeline of that. Okay, fine. You know, I give up. I let them go. And then uh, how many times have you done this? You sit there and you just kind of stew on your decision like, I'm not going to let them go. I, I, I'm not giving up my slaves. What did I just do? Uh-uh. No, Why no, say no. the Lord, the Lord hardened his heart? Why say that? Because. When it clearly has said in the text previously, he's hardened his own heart. Why in that moment say it? Because he's bringing about his specific so, result and he's not going to okay, stop until so it's Okay, so then done. Just, just say your conclusion. God made Pharaoh sin. I, it's not making Pharaoh <laughs> sin. Yes, hardening his heart, Hardening his heart so as to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow them to leave. So, they, so, so he, he made him lie. He made him a liar. His guards. He made him a liar. He made I don't him, think it makes sense. He did. He said, okay, I give up. You know, I, I repent. I've done wrong before the Lord. Wait, no, I didn't. I'm going back on that. But again, how do you, how would you then say, why would it say the Lord hardened his heart? And why did Pharaoh, I don't know why Pharaoh would renege other than the fact that God goes, you're not done. You're climbing out of the ring. He goes, okay, fine. I'm done. No, you're not done. 
You're not done. I'm going to utterly destroy you. I'm going to make sure that everybody in but the see, entire Joe, when world you frame knows. It like, right. When you frame it in that way, I understand what you're saying about the Eddie But when you frame it in the Pharaoh had tapped out and God said, no, 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 no. That does imply that Pharaoh, that God essentially made Pharaoh sin, as opposed to what Jack is saying, which is Pharaoh was already primed. What I brought up earlier, Pharaoh was already primed to harden his heart, already done it time and time again. He was kind of on the edge and god pushed the right button so to speak and you know pharaoh pharaoh chose to maybe took away all, all his options however you want to put it but pharaoh still chose to harden his own heart but it was because the lord had taken all his options away does that make sense that's that's no, I, I understand. Where, I'm, where i'm falling yeah right if he takes all his options away though that that is he made god him sin. taking away he made him he, sin. taking away free will essentially they made him sin i mean just say that i don't think it's necessarily sin to to harden the heart so as for God to bring about the greater result. I think yes, he did use Pharaoh's his he did use Pharaoh's arrogance. He did everything, but at the same time there is a level of I don't think that I I I don't know. I think God needed it again to go all 10 plagues and yes, he could have very easily used it. I see your point. He could okay, have very so easily this, this used it. The wording is very dubious. This is my point. If he made Pharaoh do the wrong, did he make Nebuchadnezzar come back around? I think he has a Nebuchadnezzar had the right, but God's consequences were, I, I think he gave Nebuchadnezzar the opportunity to come back around the same way he gave it to Pharaoh at, at 10, you know, after the 10th plague of like, finally leave, leave. He gave him the opportunity to do it. Pharaoh had, again, even after eight, Pharaoh was going to let him go. Pharaoh continued to go back and make the same mistakes. But my point is God continued to work the circumstances where there was only one option that was going to happen. Well, yeah, because so in my opinion, God was, character. God was, it's not it's not God making Pharaoh sin. Pharaoh walks into the sin, but God did this is favorably the question, though, and is heavily stack heavily the question, stack though, the circumstances. Is, if you know what somebody's gonna do, did you make them do it? No. I mean, there's certain things that happen throughout the day where I know I mean a hundred percent, a hundred times out of a hundred, what my wife is going to say, and she does. That doesn't mean I made her do it. You know, I, I can even like create the the situation that would lead her to say that phrase like inside jokes that we have and stuff like that and just put the thing on a tee and set her up to do it i didn't actually make her do it up until that point i just knew that she was going to and sure. so i mean the yeah same again, thing as I, a thief I, you put you put a thief in a bank with nobody you know no security and nobody watching what do you think is going to happen however if you put the thief in the bank and you're the only one that puts the thief in the bank you pretty heavily stacked the odds well, and that he was going is, to do it. God using but wicked still men take for his will. will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He still did it. He still did it himself. Like the thief, the thief did what the thief does. However, where's the bend in free will? You put him in the, in the bank. You didn't put him in, in some store with a ton of security. You didn't put him in the middle of, uh, you know, well, in the middle this of This is arc. my point about free will is always incredibly conditional because one of the things we haven't talked about with Pharaoh is this is a guy who very clearly was raised up to think he was... As as we I used to say back in the '90s, all that in a bag of chips. You know, he he just thought he was the world. He he thought he was you know the nobody. Which again, he probably was the most powerful man in the world. You know, give yeah. him that. And and so uh, this is probably somebody who was not raised being told no. This was not somebody who was raised you know like who had a life where he ever had to defer to anybody or you know realize sure. hey I'm I'm not God. And so now he has all of those circumstances. This, and so this is my point about free will is conditional. It's the same today. I, we like to think that everybody is born with the same percent chance of, of being saved. That's just not true. Somebody born in the Soviet Union, 1950, 
did not have the same chance of of going uh, of being saved as somebody born into a Christian family in the American South in 1965. Uh, it, you just don't. And, and you can say, well, did God take away the Soviet person's free will? No. There were so many circumstances that led, I mean, generations, 2,000 years that led to the birth of those two people and all of the things that parents and grandparents and ancestors sure. all the way back, decisions that were made, the churches that were started. I mean, we've got Campbell and Stone. We're here having this podcast today largely because, you know, guys like that did the work that they did. And and like, and so we can say, oh, you know, I've chose this by free will. Yeah, but like this whole cascade of options led you to, here's the, the, the choice that you have to make. Here's the options you have to choose from. That's how God works. We don't have the, you can, not only you can, but you are likely, just as likely to choose one of 10 billion options. No, the likelihood increases so much by all the influences you have on you I think God, uh, all of the things in the Bible are done in the fullness of time. When you've got this executive over the most powerful nation in the world that had come to that point, the arrogance, he didn't, you know, as we see at the start of Exodus, this is, these are people that have forgotten what Israel's there for. They've forgotten Israel's God. They've forgotten Joseph, all that stuff. And it leads to this Pharaoh and, and kind of his insecurity, kind of his whatever it is that, that God that's why that's the Pharaoh that God picked. This might be why Moses needed 40 years in exile. And then God's like, all right, now go because that guy's in and I can use that guy in the same way. He said, you don't get Canaan until the iniquity of the Amorites is complete. I'm going to wait until the right time for that. The same with Nebuchadnezzar, the same with uh, Belteshazzar, you know, the, the handwriting on the wall that he was arrogant, like at Nebuchadnezzar. And God comes in and is like, yeah, we got a problem. I'm getting rid of you where Nebuchadnezzar had the chance to repent. Um, was that fair? I mean, like we, we always want everything to be equal and fair and hundred percent. It doesn't work that way. And so I think Pharaoh very much had very limited options, partly because of his own arrogance, but partly because of everything that led him to be in that moment. I, I mean, I get your point. I, I get all of the things that have led up to he it. He just the disagrees. Yeah. Pharaoh makes Pharaoh sin. <laughs> I didn't say he made Pharaoh sin. I'm saying free will is, is look, if I say, hey, son, today you're having Fruit Loops for breakfast. And he goes, you know, or, or all I say is, hey, we got a box of Fruit Loops and some milk. What's for breakfast? Well, that's all we got. And then he eats Fruit Loops and milk. Whoa, whoa, I didn't make him. I, he could have chose not to eat breakfast. Like, there's one well, option, man. No. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's literally one option. But, but you still but didn't of course take his gonna, free will away. He didn't have I didn't to take his free will. He, well, but this is, my, he, this is my point. He didn't have to have the Fruit Loops. You're saying Pharaoh had to do this. You're not, because Pharaoh, because Pharaoh was, options here are Pharaoh had to be hardened and, and double down or Pharaoh had to let them go. Like say, okay, I'm not, I'm going to drop. Could he have let them you're go at, Could he have let them go before the Passover? You're saying no. I'm no, saying, I'm saying, of, yeah, I'm saying, of course not. The Passover had to happen. You're saying, yeah, at, at, at eight, he could have gone. You really think that you really I'm think saying, that God I'm was saying he had the option, but God knew that he wasn't going to take that option. So he kept pressing yeah, the button. That makes the most sense. Who kept pressing the button? God did. <laughs> okay why did god need to press the button god kept calling that marty mcfly god? chicken god kept calling marty mcfly chicken now you remember again back to the future lore shout out to a michael j fox for helping me out with the, the free will philosophical question here <laughs> by, by the end of the arc his character has progressed to the point that uh flea from the red hot chili peppers is suddenly in the back to the future series calls him chicken and tries to get him to never race made never made sense and he decides he's not going to do it because he has outgrown the inferiority complex that doesn't allow people to call him chicken okay and so at any point anybody who called him chicken was pressing that button 
he learned to turn the button off and say, you can't control me with that. Well, I mean, you have this in the Bible about by that, which is angers you is, is by what you were controlled. You can say God controlled Pharaoh by angering him, by by pushing the button on his pride, like, hey, you're going to let those people go? You, you really going to do that? You really going to give this up? You're really going to let those Hebrew goat herders, you know, like get this one over on you? And you can just see Pharaoh going, yeah, I'm not going to do that. He didn't have to. He could have, like, again, in the same way, Nebuchadnezzar, like, okay, I'm eating grass. This is stupid. Like, I'm I'm broken. I give. Finally. I Fine. Fine. I get okay. He heavily, let's say he didn't take, free, take away free will. He heavily intervened. God heavily intervened in this to make sure he brought about the perfect result. He didn't I'm, take away free will. He I think still there, had, yeah, he still had there's things in which God because this, heavily intervenes this in a lot of ways. This brings us into a very interesting discussion about the providence of God. Right. How 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 much does God, quote unquote, step in? Does well, he tweak the outcomes of things? Yeah, go ahead. Let me give an example of that. John the Baptist. You look at that like, hey, before this kid's born, he's going to go preach the gospel. Uh, you know, he's going to go pave the way for Jesus. Right. And you go, you look at it like, did John, did John even have a choice? And somebody made the point to me, and this is a very great point. Look at Samson. Same thing. Uh, Samson and Samuel at the same time. Uh, very closely paralleled, even though they're not in the text, one next to each other, but time-wise, just different parts of Israel. And with uh, Sam, with both of them, it's, hey, there's a promise from God. This child's going to come. You know, Samson, is, he's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to do all these things. And I mean, Samuel, pretty faithful guy, doesn't raise the best kids, but, you know, like a strong judge, prophet, all the things that he did. Samson, he's a nutcase. Samson, a train wreck. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's got women problems. He's He's got a big mouth. He's, he's just a knucklehead. I mean, he's just... Uh, all of these things, and yet he still accomplishes God's will. He still, you know, uh, takes out a bunch of Philistines. He still, you know, wins battles and and uh, like does some of the things that God had prepared for him to do. Did he have to do it perfectly? No, I, I, like he had a choice in so his this life. Is where and he I made a bunch of bad choices, but God ultimately got him to where he wanted him. This is where I see the fundamental difference in our positions: is if God set Pharaoh on a path. And as, as we're saying, he took all the options away. And basically this is the, the, this is the path Pharaoh is going to walk down because God intervened. Joe's position is that is taking his free will away. I guess mine and Jack's position is more. So it's not necessarily taking his free will away. Does that, is that, a okay, I'm not going to say, way to... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll revise my statement. He's not taking his free that's will. A, away. That's a victory, Jack. That's a victory. He's still, he's still, <laughs> he's still opportunity to make the decision the decision is just one of one. I, I mean, it, it is so heavily stacked where it would appear he did not have that way. We could look at it and go, okay, God didn't actually choose for him. Pharaoh still chose to do wrong. I, I agree with you. God does not compel anybody to sin, but the circumstances that God put him in were so compelling to sin. Pharaoh still made a choice. So he, here's, he here's still did example. what he did. Here's, an, here's another example. I pray, and we're going to get into this question a little bit later. My kid walks away. I pray to God for 10 years that my kid will return back to the faith. The kid does return back to the faith. Was that a God stepping in, intervening, putting circumstances in front of my kid to turn him back? Or was that, a, or did he take my kid's free will away? Like Jack is saying for the good, or is that completely still a free will choice of my child to come back to the faith? Are you asking me or are you asking Jack? That, well, just hey, generically you, asking. You're like the that. guy who's uh, Mr. No Free Will here, so you you roll with that. I'm not saying there's no free will. <laughs> I would say God gives us free will, no doubt, but there are times where God so heavily skews things 
so as to bring about his needs. I think he did the same thing with Judas. I think he did the same thing with multiple people throughout the throughout the Old Testament, where God used the specific person with a specific bent, with a specific everything else, with specific circumstances to specifically bring about a specific thing. And I think meaning I think our position is he, yes, he did all that and their free will was still not taken away. I think yeah, he, okay, they so, still had the opportunity to choose it, but again, the choices were so much basically made for them that I'm not saying this happens all the time. I think see, God I major, think, mainly I think does. The key, the key in this one is Esther 414 of hey, look at this. We've Even got if a you know who's the queen. Wow, that worked out really nicely. God put her there. And and you would look at it and go like God forced Esther to do this. And Malachi, uh, not Malachi, um uh, Mordecai, wrong uncle, uh, wrong guy. Uh Mordecai says if you don't, God's not going to let his people die. However, maybe you are here for such time as this. Like one way or the other, because God's will was, I can't let the people be extinguished. You know, like that, right. that because he's got the grand plan of the Messiah has to come about. And if all the Jews everywhere are killed, that doesn't happen. So he's not going to let that happen. But what Mordecai is telling Esther is you've got a choice to play a role in this. And it kind of goes to the C.S. Lewis quote about, you're going to do God's will one way or another. Uh, John did God's will. Judas did God's will. Um, you know, in the sense of God makes all things work together for good, I think is part of this as well, is like whatever you give him, he'll get there. Um, I think, well, because I think this also goes to the point with you, would you say that Pharaoh does not qualify under God wants all to come to repentance? God doesn't want Pharaoh to come to repentance because then God would go, oh, uh, oh no, oh, uh, um, uh, guys, we got to recalculate some things. He's a good guy now. We can't have the Passover. We can't, uh, oh boy. Like the ideal no. would have been Pharaoh going, you know, because look what happens at the end of the Old Testament. Again, the Persians, the you've got this king who comes to power and he goes, you know what? I'm here. You're God, the God of the Jews. He wants me to rebuild your temple. So that's what we're going to do. You guys are going back. Here's a bunch of gold and stuff to go rebuild the temple. Amen. Get on out of here. Go build your temple. Like that would have been what God wanted for Pharaoh, isn't it? I, I would agree that God. And, but he also knew, yeah, to your point, he also knew he wasn't going to. But he still pressed the buttons so as to bring that about. Right, right. If he, because if God he was, did not because press the he buttons, wasn't going to do it, then it's like, all right, let's set this plan in motion. If God did not press the buttons, would Pharaoh have done it? Would 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 God have brought would God have brought things about if if he had not pushed the buttons that he did? Well, I mean, then you're just saying nothing happens. I'm not saying nothing happens. God, his ultimate plan was to get them. Give them the law, get them into the promised land, right? But again, sure. his plan was to get them to the promised land and a whole generation was like, yeah, no thanks. And so he's like, all right, well, 40 years in the wilderness. And that doesn't mean that God had to go like, oh no, my, my plan didn't work. Let's uh, come up with a, a plan B on the fly. It's, you guys aren't going to get it. I know you guys are a, a wicked generation that's got too much of the Egyptians in you still. And so you die, you're going to die. I'm going to, you know, I, did God want them to go in the promised land? Yeah. Sure. I, I would agree that God brings about his ultimate will. I just think he pushes things in a direction where there's basically one way to bring about that will. Well, That's it's okay. Again, it's the same thing you tell your kids. I, you know, I tell my kids, there's an easy way this is going to happen or there's a hard way this is going to happen. You can take the pick here. And, and the easy way is the right choice. But if you don't pick it, it's your, your room's still going to get clean. We, we still have free will on that. Yes, we still have free will on that. I just think God heavily skews things so as to bring about our free will choices. I'm heavily skewing things way. to get the room clean. Like, uh, I'm right, right, right. Way going, this room's going to get clean. You so know? to your point, we don't have absolute free will. There's a bazillion things pushing yes. on us. 
Yeah, I, 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 think I that would agree. Is one of the big mistakes that a the humanists, the atheist humanist people make is, oh, we're just you know the blank slate, tabula rasa. We get, you know, you're born with all the choices, and, and they even tell kids this in elementary school. You can be anything. Any of you can be president. No, you can't. Most of you, by the time you're five years old. Like a slew you of options have been, yourself from being yeah, a slew yeah. of options have been taken off the table by whether it's by your intelligence, by your upbringing, by uh, just all kinds of things. I mean, like sure. that, that we we think every individual has starts off life with all of the same things. I'm sorry, no matter what choices I made, there was not a world in which five foot nine redheaded me was getting to the NBA. I'm it just wasn't going to happen. I'm sorry. You know, like and so well, I don't have free will cuz I didn't have the option to become an NBA star like now I I do have free will on it just in a range and and everybody has it in a range and to your point, Pharaoh like again, it's God coming in and saying my people are going to the promised land of Canaan. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. And Pharaoh goes hard way, hard way, hard way. Yeah, no, no. Okay, easy way. Oh, no, 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 hard way. Hard, you know, like because the arrogance was there that God kept pushing on, like, hey, this is going to happen whether you like it or not. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And Pharaoh goes, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. And so you end up with, okay, well, we'll just keep doing this until I kill you. And again, okay, you got to so, go back to the conversation of the burning bush where God says all of this beforehand. God goes, I'm going to send you. Pharaoh's not going to like it. We're going to have this big thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my glory. Like, this is an opportunity for me to let everybody know. Because one of the other things is when they get to Canaan, what a you know? What does Rahab say? Yeah, no, we we heard about your God. We're we're scared right. to death. You know, like we and God had planned that whole thing of like, look, they're not going to let you go, and so I'm going to get to as you said, destroy all their gods, make a show of it, let the whole world know. Don't mess with these Israelite people. Um, you know, again, he he planned all of that ahead, and it wasn't him telling Pharaoh, I'm going to ragdoll or telling Moses, I'm going to ragdoll Pharaoh around and just make sure he doesn't let you go until I'm ready to let you go. It's this guy's got a problem and we're going to go exploit that as is my read of what's what's happening there. Okay. It looks like we're going to have to agree to disagree on this. Joe, Joe does not seem, to I think we probably, we probably agree more than we disagree. I think the nature by which I'm not. Okay. I think I'll God is like hardening Joe's heart right now. Nah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you use your, but free, will have free, will? A, <laughs> use your free will to make a better choice here. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to move us into, Joe, unless you've got one closing nope. comments, I guess, on Go this. Go for it. Okay, so I'm going to move us into, and we could have gone into 1 Kings 22, Romans 9. There's a whole lot more here, but for the sake of time, we got a few more big-time big, big time questions we got to get to. Open theism. There's, there's so many, which I probably should have let one of these guys describe open theism. Joe watched probably 30 videos on it. Um, in fact, Joe, why don't you do that and then let me get into the, the yeah. God changing his mind point because I've got some scriptures pulled up for that. I've been so fascinated by this idea. Um, yeah, I've been fascinated by it because open theism is the idea that God doesn't really know the future. And by fascinated, I don't subscribe to this. However, it is an interesting thought um, that God doesn't, he kind of lets it unravel. God is on our timeline. I think there are verses that, that point like to he, God. he put a blindfold on, like he could have known Correct. and he could have known. He, he chooses not to he, know. Yeah. Which. It's not, it's not a matter of God not having the power. Yeah. It's a matter of God choosing to put himself on our timeline going, okay, I will make work as it goes. I'll, I'll take every decision made in the present. The future doesn't exist basically is what they're saying. And therefore, since the future doesn't exist, he's not dealing with anything that he's dealing with things that don't exist. It's like, well, he's God. He can deal with anything he wants. However, there is this concept of like, as we go along, he builds. And so he didn't, and this is where they get to is 
Now I know that you have the faith. Why does he tell Abraham that? Now I know. Um, those are the concepts Genesis here. And so right? just, I think, yes, Genesis 20, is it right? 22. Yeah. Um, where he, he tests with, you're going to sacrifice Isaac. He goes, he actually is about to pass the test. And he says, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. You know, here's where I'm caught in the thicket. Let's him sacrifice that. But he says, now I know. Why would he use that language? This is the concept of open theism is like 22 verse 12. He, he yeah, genuinely didn't know that that was going to happen. Now he does know and he can build accordingly. Where this falls apart, I'll just say it uh, right off the bat, then Will, I'll let you kind of get into some of this. Where this falls apart, in my opinion, and I watched a ton on this trying to understand how they understand prophecy. How does Jesus tell Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows? Well, he knew right. Peter, said kind of to your guys' point, like he knew Peter's um, dispositions. He knew kind of what led him up to the, no, no, no. Three times specifics. before the rooster crows. That's very right. specific. How in the world did he know that? Uh, there is no, I understand the heart of man, quote unquote, that gets you to that point. There's there's a lot of prophecy. You can explain some of the prophecies that way where God kind of works it in as he goes. Um, but I do believe that there are some that are so specific. You know, Psalm 22, he's going to hang on a tree talking about crucifixion. There's no possible way for David to know that when he's writing that psalm of what to, what's going to happen without God having some concept of the future. So open theism so, just leaves the future very open toward anything. God doesn't actually know he's on our timeline. And I do believe God puts himself on our timeline in ways, uh, but that's a different discussion. So, so anyway, fuel, go for it, Will. To add fuel to the fire here, because I would, I would ask Joe, because I agree, of course, with you, like, so why did he phrase it that way? You know, now I know in Genesis 22 verse 12, you also have the passages where it doesn't say God changed his mind. I think some translations do. Uh, but for instance, in Exodus 32, when they, when the Israelites form the golden calf, Moses comes down from the mountain. God says, Moses, back out of the way. I'm going to wipe the floor with everybody. And Moses, you know, essentially it seems as though convinces God, stays his hand. And the text says in verse 14, at least in my translation, that the Lord relented from the harm which he would do to his people. We see that also in Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 19. Um, again, some translations will say the Lord changed his mind. Mine, New King James says the Lord relented from harm. Again, the open theist would say, see, God didn't know what he was going to do, and the circumstances, our timeline, whatever, led God to make the decision that he did. Because the question would be, well, if God knew that he wasn't going to kill the, uh, you know, kill all the Israelites, then why did Moses have to quote unquote convince him? That's a tough one. I mean, you also have Genesis 18 where Abraham is bargaining with seemingly bargaining with God about, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah where, you know, you know, okay, well, if I can find 50, if I can find 40, 30, 20, 10, whatever, if God knew what he was going to do, why did he kind of go through that whole charade? And so, yeah, uh, this, this is, these are, tough questions because this is where the open theists get there again, kind of fuel for their fire here. What would you guys, I guess we'll turn it over to Jack here. Jack, what would you say to some of those? You don't have to answer all of them, but uh, you've got Exodus 32, Jeremiah 26, God changing his mind, so to speak. And then Genesis 18. I think the Abraham one is the easiest one where, I mean, like God knows there's no, like the Sodom and Gomorrah, there's, there's nothing safe there. It's, it's almost like he's, out of respect to Abraham, kind of entertaining the the charade of yeah, sure, man. If there are that many, there's not. If there's this many, there's not. There's, and kind of like it's leading Abraham to the point of like, wow, those people got to go. You know, like, this place is toast. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, let's just get Lot out and call it. You know, call it a day, pave it to the ground. Um, and so uh, because that one, he never really, he doesn't actually change. It's because yeah. the outcome is there's not 
anybody there. There's not even 10. And so if you know that there's five, you know, really, I mean, all we know that there was one righteous person. It doesn't seem like his family was righteous enough either. So you got one righteous person in the whole city. God can go, sure, 50, 40, 30, 20, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. Yep. No. Oh, oh, I guess we don't have it. But the Moses one's a little harder because it is. And there's, I think in numbers as well, God does the same thing. Like, all right, Moses and Aaron, let's start fresh with you. Everybody's going to go. We're, I'm getting rid of everybody. And with that, it's Moses appeals to God's character. You know, you, hey, you made a promise. You chose these people. You, you said this was how it's going to be. And because of who you are and, um, you know, and so his character cannot change. God can't change. And, and so with that, you know, okay, this wasn't actually going to happen because it's not, it would be inconsistent with God's character. God, Moses, God did not need an, an omniscient, you know, all knowing God did not need Moses to go, remember, you made a promise and God, ah, you're right. I did. I did. Thanks, Moses, for bringing up the old contract. You know, like I, I thought I had the solution. <laughs> so here. Why? Why go through those four or five verses? Then what's the point? Do you think it's more so for Moses's purposes? Yeah. I, and for Moses's purposes and also just to the show text the, says, the level of anger he had. But like this I is what the, they for the. I think even that shows his character. Like, look, this is what you guys deserve. This is what I would do if if I were a less patient God, a less. And I get, you know, that makes sense. I guess the, the puzzling thing for me is when the text says the Lord relented from the harm, right? That seems to indicate he will, the harm was at the door and God said, all right, fine. And backed up. And I know yeah. that's just my, my reading of it, but I mean, there's a few things like that in Genesis as well, where like, it speaks of God thinking the way do, you know, God was sorry. He made man. And I just, I have a hard time picturing God up in heaven going, Man, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done this whole thing. You know, like that. I don't. That's not really what that means. Or even when he comes to the garden, he's like, "Hey, Adam, where are you?" Like, yeah, he knows uh, where he is. Yeah. yeah, and so there's things. Whether it's for our benefit, whether it's so for you our do think it, a lot of this is using you know certain language or using certain verbiage or you know saying certain things like the "Where are you?" to almost make it easier for us to understand. You think? Again, just thinking I, out loud here. I think there's some of that. I think putting it all under that blanket covering is a bit of a cop out. Uh, I, I think it's a little more complex than that. But I, I do think there's a little bit of it like that is understandable for us, but it also is not. He's not like us. That's the yeah anthropomorphical language. I always just man, I thought it was dumb. Well, now I know like that's just for us. Okay. I understand the concept behind it and it probably is just for us, but it seems like a major cop out to just go. Yeah. That was just for us to understand in the text. God didn't actually, it's like, but that's what the text says. He's God did relent. So, you know, we could say that that was just for us to understand the seriousness of sin. There's a bazillion one place in the old Testament where we could have gotten it without it saying God relented from his actions. But I agree with you. It, the problem is we get to an inconsistency of God. And we know from James one, like he is, there's no, variation or shifting shadow like god doesn't change it's not like you know tomorrow he wakes up and goes, whoa hey man boy did not see that one coming again the open theists kind of do the open theists like he doesn't know the future so when he did it's like whoa well that's pretty interesting you know that's how they explain it but again the the holes in open theism of like how did how would god be able to there's so much foreshadowing in the bible there's there's so much typology in the bible that it's like that's impossible for God not to know the future. They're so intricately 
intricately put together. So do you, you know, that 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 there it's literally impossible for God not to have planned all of this out. And it does talk about in Ephesians one of him predestining the plan. He had this laid out as to what was going to happen, what needed to happen, how it was going to come about, the church being the, you know, being the bride of Christ. Like all of this was laid out from the beginning of time. So if he laid it out and had this plan, but was unable to see the future, that would be to me, it would be impossible without him, you know, directing things in order to kind of bring that. I wonder out. if That's they argue, because I don't know any open theists personally, Joe, maybe you could answer this. I wonder if they argue that God knows the quote unquote bullet points, the big points of the plan, and he chooses to know those things, but it's the little minor details of how things get there that he could know and just chooses to stay on our timeline with. Well, and that's the terms they, they that don't God's actually... decreed will and permissive will, you know, that I think I would agree with is, as you say, the things that have to happen, the Esther thing again, my people aren't going to be exterminated. Well, whether Esther's yeah. going to be the one that I use or whoever else, right. but we're going to, we'll, you know, there's plan A through Z of how that's going to happen. But I would also say that God did raise up Esther specifically for well, that sure. I mean, like I mean, he, yeah, she did come there for such a time as this, but I think she had the option to chicken out. I agree. I agree. I think God would have brought it about either way. But that kind of does leave the door open. Are there plan B's? Does God have plan B's? Or are there I, can, I, I think the Samson thing is is such a good example of like, hey, this is a guy chosen from before birth, and yeah. yet, man, he still basically did everything he could to sabotage, you know, the kind of person he was supposed to be. He just totally blew off the Nazarite thing, all the things that he was committed to, and yet God still got a lot done with him. Yeah, I think you know blowing Israel off the map was perfectly within God's. Um, he. Did it before, you know, did it with Sodom and Gomorrah. He did it with, with the world and the flood. If he had blown them off the map, yeah, he's not a respecter of persons. I think that's within his his purview. Like, he absolutely could have done it. Well, and I don't except think he once, he, once he told Abraham. But then you could say, well, it know, he kept Moses he alive. Moses. He exactly. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. He would have he said, same with Lot, same with Noah. I think he could have done it, and that would have been perfectly fine because he still would have been holding out that family and brought it about. The problem would be, once again, would God change his mind? Like this was the plan and now you're ticking me off too much. Man, like you said, I have a very difficult time seeing that. I would love to know the discussions of the Godhead. I know they're all God, but kind of the, the discussions that they have. And we see this in, um, I don't think the they're up there arguing. Genesis. No, I don't think they're arguing, but just kind of like what parts of when we grieve God or we grieve, I know we, we grieve, like I'm not saying there's three different gods. The Trinity is very difficult to, but you see them, let us make man in our image. What's he talking about? There's three of them. Like there, there are three distinct places and three distinct beings that are kind of, you know, however it works. But could there be some of that in there where I don't think they're arguing. I think they're in perfect unity. But at the same time, yeah, maybe that's part of it is like God, the father goes, man, that's that's a this. It's not that this didn't work out the way he wanted to. Of course, he saw that there was going to be Noah because Noah is a figure for like you look through again. From a typological perspective and from a foreshadowing perspective, Noah and foreshadowing Lot and kind of the righteous man. And they literally have the same sin getting out where they're exposed and making us exposed and everything. Else. I mean, there's so many things that go throughout. It's like, whoa, that's pretty interesting. The way he lines these up perfectly. Um, there's no way that that didn't happen without God knowing. So is God sorry? Maybe. And yeah, he is. Was God surprised that that happened? No, no. I think he can still be sorry that that took place, even though he knew that was going to happen. Um, so open theism to me is. Uh, again, not easily because of some of these verses, it's not easily done away with, but the prophecy, the typology, things like that make it very, very, very unlikely. That's the case. I just think it's wrong. I don't think it's heretical as some people would say, um, you know, they, they deny God's power. No, it would be God choosing what power to use and what power not to use. I think he can put himself in whatever situation he's got. 
Now, what's an interesting side point, we talk about Calvinism, Arminianism, open theism, and then there's Molinism. And I think Molinism that's kind of what we've been pushing pretty much this entire time. Correct. The parts Which I was going to say, I don't Pharaoh, but... well, zip it, zip it. <laughs> I will agree, disagree. But this is the idea of this middle knowledge, and it is God knowing ulti- you know, all these possibilities. And so, like you said, we have been discussing this. You brought in Esther 4.14. There are mul- like God knows... So there's the things that God absolutely knows, which is, and they have three different terms for them. I should have written them down. One's like two plus two equals four. It's just a, it's a known fact. It's the universe. It's the way he created it. Like God knows that there's other things that God knows will take place. Excuse me. If I do this, that will happen. And then there's things, which is the middle knowledge of it could, it could not, right? Like there are, there are multiple, there's thousand different timelines. I know the one timeline here, but I also know the other 999 and what could have happened. And we see this in a different place. Uh, what is it? Jer- I think you referenced Jeremiah 26. I think it may be there where it's like, you know, he kind of has the same concept of this is what was going to happen, but this is what happened instead. And he's got a few of those different things. Uh, Micaiah, the prophet, I think we brought that up. There's some interesting things with Micaiah as well. And uh, this also goes into the free will discussion of them kind of going, okay, how about I'll, I'll go down as the deluding spirit and I'll, I'll make sure that their mind is kind of scrambled. You know, you get into some of those things of he knows multiple timelines. He knows what needs to take place. Well, because there's discussion. There's one I should have pulled up. I think it's uh, oh, it's somewhere. Second uh, Samuel five, where David asks, well, if I do this, what's going to happen? And God's like, yeah, that's that's not going to work. And David's like, OK, I'm not going to go there. Uh, yeah. And so kind of again, like if I choose this here, you know, kind of the looking down, here's the outcome of that. So don't choose that, make this other choice. Well, how did he know that? It's not something that David did. Well, he can, he knows how things are going to go depending on the choices you have. And and that makes it where he can craft the future that he wants because he knows, well, if this outcome is going to lead to this, this person chooses this, is going to lead to this. And the idea of a God that can contain all of these choices for every human who's ever lived at every given instance is like, that's one of those that makes you feel really, really, really small. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, as you said, we kind of discussed the middle knowledge. A lot of the points on our outline we had, we've already been discussing because this fits so much into the Pharaoh, but also, again, the Judas discussion, the Esther discussion, um, the John the Baptist discussion. Like, how much does he control out of that? And and it comes around to our ultimate conclusion, I think. And with our time, we might as well we get to this point and then we have one last question we want to ask. But we basically, we don't have ultimate free will. Coming back to your point, um, I, I just don't think we do. Uh, and you have an illustration I think you use uh, concerning breakfast uh, decisions. And you've used this in, so those that have read your stuff, I'm sure have come to it. But concerning English breakfast, I believe. Yeah, I mean, like what uh, we and what all of our listeners had for breakfast, you might have had cereal, you might have had eggs, you might have had yogurt, waffles, whatever. Most of you probably didn't have beans and toast. Uh, like that to me, that's just disgusting. It didn't even cross my mind to have that. Did I have the option to have that? Yeah, but it was not going to happen. Like my entire life, it has never happened. Even the the time I was over in England and the hotel served, I was like, uh, beans, what do you know? And so like, <laughs> theoretically, the options there, I didn't choose it. However, millions of people did have that for breakfast this morning because, you know, through the British empire, that that's pretty standard. The, the, the English breakfast. Well, I have the same free will they have to choose it, but I didn't, and they did. Why? Well, because of all the influences. Again, as we talked about earlier, the cascade of things that limit the range of likely choices. I mean, like, there, there well, again, there is, in theory, the opportunity to have that for breakfast. The, in actuality, never going to happen. 
Well, and this adds this to add to it, Jack, you brought it up earlier. The point that yes, everybody on planet Earth has free will to choose, but the odds of my son obeying the gospel is a whole lot higher than the odds of somebody who, you know, maybe lives in a country without religious freedom, whose parents don't believe in God. I raised in a Muslim all... family in Iran. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, our free, we, but they both kids, my son and that son over there, they both have free will, but one is heavily tilt is going to be heavily slanted and heavily tilted towards obeying the gospel and, and acknowledging God as, as the almighty God. And the other's going to be heavily slanted towards acknowledging Allah and, and, and not, and not obeying the gospel. Are there free, is there free will taken away? Of course not. And so that speaks to this point of limited free will or, you know, not having absolute free will, which I think for a lot of people might be a bit of a tough pill to swallow because as was brought up earlier, we want everything to be fair and equal. And while everybody has the exact same chance, that's not necessarily the case. What would you say to those who say that's unfair? That God created a world where he knew most people are not going to, you know, it, it's, it's unfair I I that is, half the world's Muslims. I mean, I would say it's also unfair that Jesus took our sacrifice, you know, took our sins on the cross. You know, if we want to start griping about fair, then that's probably, you know, yeah. Jesus probably gets to, to be the first one to, to make that gripe. Like essentially us deciding what's fair for God is the, the epitome of irony. Like we don't, we don't yeah. get to decide what's fair. It would be my answer to that. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, it just erases all works. It erases good parenting. It erases, like, every generation would have to be totally cut off from the, the people before them, from culture, from everything. Like, this yeah. is just humanity. Like, when you enter a world with free will, when the tree of knowledge of good and evil was there, this is this it's is the game we all... Slate. Yeah, well, this is the game we all signed up for, is that this there there would be cause and effect. And and again, as you're saying, we cause and effect that we had no part of. You know, the American Revolution, and as I said, the Stone Campbell Movement, and uh, religious freedom here in America and, and Christendom in, in Europe that led to this. I mean, we're, we're going back again, 2000 years. And even before that, that like, again, the cascade that led us to be blessed and, and have just thankfully the parents that took us to church and all that, like, and what you're trying to do is get other people to convert so that help their kids, you know, and, and how many people say, come through one, you know, this drives evangelism. This also drives Christian nationalism, in my opinion. Yes, every nation should be coming unto the Lord because that is that creates the favorable circumstances for people to then generation after generation come to God. As I've said so before, free will, culture is pre-evangelism. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. So I, I do think free will is a lot easier to everybody has free will, but we will, you know, circumstances matter. This brings us to our last question, though, guys, because this is a big one. And we got to get through this. Um, a lot of like people are 88 yeah. miles an hour. I mean, let's go. I was going to say nice, nice. Okay, Reverend. What's the point of prayer? Is there a purpose to prayer? If, you know, if God has kind of laid things out and, and he needs this to happen, therefore he's going to put the circumstances in and everything else. Is there a purpose to God praying or, or to us praying to God? Can we change his mind? Can we, can we help him direct his will? Uh, is there a point to prayer? I think personally, I'll be very quick. I think James 5.16 tells us just point blank, yes, there is a point to prayer. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Like it, it that is in the text. So we have to we have to agree on the fact that it does matter, that it does, there's a point to it. Where the discussion gets interesting is okay, what is the what is the point? Did God know we were gonna pray that and so it's already set in motion, or did we, you know, steer God in a certain direction? This is where the belief that these quote unquote smaller things, the minor things, this and that is more open that God hasn't necessarily decided how things are going to go. 
And that's where the providence comes in. That's where our prayer comes in and, and kind of might lean things a certain direction. The big stuff is not going to change, but maybe the smaller things, you know, so-and-so getting over a sickness or getting a job or, you know, praying that your kid finds a good spouse or, you know, to us, those are big things. In the grand scheme of things, those are pretty small. And so I, I do tend to think that maybe those, those are undecided and it is our decisions, our prayer or whatever that might lean things a certain direction. Jack. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many interventions I like you to use the one you just said a minute ago, pray your kid finds a, a godly spouse. There's a lot of things you're going to do with your kids to set that up, you know, to show them what to look yeah. for, to show them the kind of spouse they need to be, to show them, you know, preparation for marriage and, and so many different ways and things like that. Prayer is one of those interventions. It's a really important one, but it's it's just another thing you're doing towards that. In the same sense of like, you don't just pray, well, you know, God, bring somebody to, to salvation. You do that and then you work, you look for op opportunities, share the gospel or whatever. And so it's just one tool in, in the arsenal towards building toward this. And it's God, it's telling God, I want this to happen. I'm going to work toward this to happen. Help me with that. And again, praying for a family member who's gone astray or praying for your kids to to be Christians, you're going to do a lot of things and you're also going to pray that God would, again, press the buttons, that he would intervene in this to say, hey, this is an outcome I want. This is a good outcome. Uh, you know, he wants it too, but he works through, you know, us, his hand and feet. And so, you know, I, I think it's just bringing him into it in our own lives in in our own way of you know, helping us see these opportunities, helping us see what we need to do and change and, you know, to make the things happen. And so, you know, as, as somebody has said, prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. And, you know, it makes us more effective servants of his. And again, he creates the circumstances. You know, I mean, I know there are people praying for discipline on family members that have gone astray, praying that God would make it hurt for them such a way that they would turn around and, and realize this is the wrong thing to do. And I, I think he does that. So C.S. Lewis makes a very interesting point in the purpose of prayer. And he talks about when God lays out the foundation of everything, he knew you were going to pray. So if you go all the way back to the beginning, you didn't pray or you did pray. He knows and can base his decisions when he was laying out the map of everything, can base his decisions based off whether you prayed or not. So yes, you're praying in the present very much matters because it may have changed God's mind a bazillion years ago when he set things, the foundation of things. I think that's a very interesting point. And to me, that makes it, it makes it work in my mind of like, God does. Uh, I, don't, know I wouldn't say it would have changed God's mind long before you did it. It's no, just not something he not built around. Correct. He built into it is what I'm saying. Like, oh yeah, I see that Joe's going to pray. I see that, that there's a righteous man over here who's going to pray. I really want to reward him in this way. Or if he looks down a little bit further in the timeline, and goes, no, I mean, that's really not going to work out for him. Okay. I'm not going to give that to him. I'm not going to grant that at this time. I see he's praying, but I really want this to come about in his life. And I think he needs this. Therefore, but the prayer does have the possibility to have God have changed his timeline or to formulate his timeline around your prayer, in my opinion. So we have to keep in mind God is working on, he knows all things. He is a, an eternal God. So our prayer in the present very, you know, very much could have had a, a an effect on his laying out the foundation before the world was even formed uh, because of what he knows. And so I think prayer has a, yeah, it, it plays a massive role. Otherwise, why would we do it? Well, just align our will with God. I think that's true. I think that's a big part of it. As you said, uh, it is to change us. But I do think that there's a, a level of like, God saw whether we were going to pray or not, and he sees whether we should grant it. And this is how we have 10,000 people on Facebook praying for you know a, a child who has cancer and they miraculously come out of cancer. Or maybe they don't and God sees, yeah, but by it, this is what's going to happen. And so we have to have the faith that is aligning our will with God. But I think we need to pray nonetheless, because that may be the very thing that affected God. So 
All right, this fellas. be a very interesting deep end. I hope we didn't say any uh, major heresies, but uh, other than the one that Joe did, I, I, I do think. Won, yeah, but... I probably didn't. I do think this is the widest range of disagreement we've ever had on a topic. We've had a few, not many, Maybe. a few. But Halloween, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Halloween, the church autonomy one. So I enjoyed it. I hope all of our listeners did. I we still, you know, there's a lot of questions that are still posed. We certainly didn't solve every single thing. Um, as always, we want to hear your comments and feedback. If you've got you know, another question to bring up, maybe we'll cover it in our, our extended segment. If you've got a, an answer or retort to something that we brought up, we know we're not the only Christians that have had these questions and struggle with these questions. We just did our best to try to answer them and, and come at it from a biblical perspective with this episode as we try to do every week. And so, guys, unless you have anything else to add to the discussion or add to the closing comments, I think we are going to wrap right there. Hope everybody has a great week. We'll talk to those who are subscribed to Focus Plus on the deep end on Friday. And for everybody else, we will talk to you next Monday. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.